Welcome to Little Universe, the podcast where we discuss miniature marvels, small spaces, and interior worlds. This season, we are focusing on maladaptive daydreaming, and this episode will actually be devoted to just one interview. I had the opportunity to speak with a woman named Devin Rose. She lives in Dublin, and she plans to go into education. She has maladaptive daydreaming, as well as OSDD, which stands for Other Specified Dissociative Disorder. Basically, OSDD is similar to DID, or Dissociative Identity Disorder, but memories are stored differently. For people with DID, alters have separate memories, but with OSDD, most of the time everyone more or less has the same memories. Since maladaptive daydreaming often accompanies other kinds of psychological disorders, I thought Devin Rose's perspective would be really valuable. For clarification, this interview was conducted back in October of 2021, so when Devin Rose says this year, she's referring to 2021 and not 2022. Can you describe how these disorders have affected you? They affect basically every facet of me in everyday life. Um, my manifestations would be I've got the OSDD and that was kind of um it's 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 called co-consciousness, so it's where I myself would have um, you know, Devon Rose would be, you know, thinking and interacting with the outside world, but I'd also have you know, someone else or maybe another person, even up to like three people that would also kind of be sharing the headspace at the front and all trying to interact with someone. That was very overwhelming for me. Um, and I think that that was kind of what sort of spiraled into the MDD, which would be, you know, I, I can't deal with this. Um, so rather than kind of losing control and feeling like, I have to be someone else, like one of the altars, let's say, then I can still be myself, but I don't have to deal with it as myself. Um, and as someone who doesn't have communication with any of my altars, they can speak to themselves, I could hear them, but I wouldn't be able to, you know, connect with them, I wouldn't be able to have a conversation. If something is growing wrong in that way, then I would create kind of these scenarios in which I would have these other characters. Um, and I would have myself um, and I would I would kind of deal with things that way. So say, so, so right now um, I'm, I'm dealing with kind of a difficult situation. I was raised by me grandparents, so they would be, you know, my like my parents. My grandmother is very, very ill. She's dealing with uh, terminal cancer. She probably won't make it until Christmas at this point. And um, they're all back in America, seven hours time difference. I'm very busy here. There's not a lot of opportunity to you know connect with her and to deal with that um and whenever I face tough emotions oftentimes it will be another altar that will take over that but for this I felt it was so personal that they didn't have any connection to her but I had that connection so I'd slip into kind of MDD like the, the scenarios in my head so that I could process it um but it it didn't feel so close to home on one, in one sense of it, but by the same token, it was still myself as opposed to an altar that was being able to process it. It is very, very pervasive um, having kind of both of that going into it. Um, I'm a full-time student. 
and um, and I do student teaching. So I, I'm I'm studying to be a secondary school teacher, like middle school and high school teacher. Um, and that, you know, those days are nine to six, most days and you're teaching. You have to concentrate so hard. And um, it's a little bit difficult to do that for anyone, I'd say. But if you've kind of got all these things that are pulling at you and you're constantly having like breaks from reality on, on one hand with alters and you're having other breaks from reality with MDD, then you can kind of get caught in a limbo where you feel like you don't exist at all or that you can remember things, but you don't feel like it's you. You're kind of watching yourself from the outside almost. It makes it very difficult to sleep a lot of the times um, where I suppose things can become so habitual that it's like brushing your teeth before bed. I can't sleep if I don't brush my teeth before bed. Oh, I can't sleep uh, if I don't have, you know, daydreams for an hour before bed. But the problem comes again, the more that you do it, the more that you want to do it. And it tends to be the longer I say that, that you'd do it. So it, it really does affect everything. It affects your concentration, it affects your sleep. It affects your relationships with other people because you're thinking, okay, they're interacting with me, but now I'm translating everything they're saying into an alternate reality and having my responses with MDD in it and what I might do in, in my daydreams. I've, I'm having the responses of any of my alters that might want to do it that know that they can't interact with the outside world. If you're comfortable, can you describe what some of your alters are like? I can do. So I've got uh, a younger version of myself that would be between the ages of seven and uh, 15. So they're kind of slides depending on the situation. Um, I've got an what I call alternate Devon Rose, which is basically a less than inhibited version of me, but tends to be very, very risky behaviors, things that I myself wouldn't be wanting to do. But I guess it's kind of like you've got yourself and you've got your evil twin. Um, uh, I've got, of course, myself. Um, Two of the main ones that show up all the time would be um, a lad named Toivo. Uh, he would be uh, anywhere between the ages of 19 and 25. Um, Sylvester, he's a musician as well, and, and I, I can get into that in a minute. Um, Sylvester would be um, age 27. He, um, would be kind of a very stoic person, very, very logical, doesn't really understand or express emotions very well. Um, Joanna, Joanna's in her 30s, Soraya is in her 40s, uh, Adrian, who's also, um, I don't know, he's a very, very unstable person. Um, and he would be anywhere from the ages of 15 to 30, depending on on um, kind of the day of the situation. So all of these people, um, you know, they've got their own things going on. They've got their own interests. They've got their own, um, you know, ways of thinking. But it can be very difficult to discern what is me? Like, what is Devon Rose? What are my interests? Who am I as a person without all these people? Um, and then that's kind of furthered a little bit with the the daydreams and everything because you know if you're daydreaming you're doing that you can do anything that you want to do it's not I mean I, I could pretend like I was in Timbuktu if I wanted to and you know and that'd be grand 
Um, but that doesn't really help. So I think a big thing for me that I've struggled with um, a very long time, probably since I was about, you know, 12 or 13, is who am I as a person? What are my interests? What are my strengths? How do I think? How do I interact with people versus how do all these other people that I share headspace interact with people? Um, and again, that I think in my, in my quest to find that I've created almost for myself a very, very strong daydreaming identity as well so that I can go into that and say, okay, this is what I think I am so I can project that and I can play the part of who I think I am uh, and interact with other people that way. So it, it gets a bit messy. What is the difference between your daydreaming persona and who you are in real life? I'd say my daydreaming persona would be maybe a little bit more emotional than myself. I have a very tough time understanding what I'm feeling on any sort of somatic level. As in, you, if you've ever had, you know, overwhelming news, be that happy or sad, you know, you have those somatic functions, you have the butterflies in your tummy, or you have, you know, the pit of despair. I don't have that as myself. So whenever I go into kind of these daydreams, then I can, I can pretend that I have it, I think a little bit better. I'd say that that would be the main difference. Maybe uh, daydreaming self is a little bit more wishful thinking as well in terms of you know, productivity of things that I want to do as opposed to things I have to do. So, you know, it's all well and good if you go and I'm a musician, so, you know, it's all well and good if, if you go and you practice piano for an hour a day, but if you go into the daydreams, you can just pretend like you've done that and, you know, talk about it. Um, and it kind of bites you in the ass a little bit um, to do that sort of thing. But yeah, that, that would kind of be the main difference, I'd say, would be the, the productivity kind of idealized, as well as being able to be more emotional and kind of relate to people a little bit better. Can you describe a memorable daydream that you've had? <laughs> there are many. <laughs> um, I'd say most of my daydreams wouldn't be too far from reality, I guess. Um, so say whenever I got accepted into uni, I was really, really excited about that. Um, and it was kind of, oh, this whole new chapter of my life is starting. Um, so I guess a very memorable daydream in that sense would be, you know, imagining that there were other people that were there that were kind of celebrating with me, people who kind of cared a bit what I was doing. Um, it would often involve not specific characters per se, um, but kind of, I mean, the characters are not specific, we'll say that. So I wouldn't have close friends really um I have like my sister who I'm quite close to and then I have my grandparents that's it um so I'd say memorable daydream would probably be that whenever I got into uni and then I was kind of like celebrating with other people um that I kind of didn't get to in real life can you describe some of the characters that appear in your daydreams they're all kind of blank slates to be honest um, it would just be someone to listen a lot of the time, I think. So if you just imagine, 
cardboard cutout it could be anyone that you want it to be and it's not super consistent um as in like some people would have oh I've got you know an imaginary girlfriend or imaginary boyfriend um or like a best friend who's into this that or the other thing for me it's a lot it, it manifests a lot in I'm a talking head and I'm talking to someone and then like imagining their responses I suppose um I mean they would be nice I suppose they, they would be nice they would be like thoughtful they'd be listening that would be the main criteria for them but as a in terms of like would they be like extremely detailed backgrounds I don't really have that anymore I used to have it a lot more if I was um quite young like say ages maybe five to ten I could go into that if you wanted yeah would I okay um so I used to have this one I used to name them um like the different props that I would have but I only really had a, like one um so I called this one flicker and it was a whole bunch of um like children like me and some of some of them the main two would have like magical powers their names were Jesse and Mariah they had magical powers they lived in this uh alternate universe um and there were like magic creatures with them that would be like um how do I describe it like engineered humans who were like uh that their ages would be reset every time that this magical world like reset the clock um and you know and they they would have powers and then there were um people that took care of them uh that would be adults that would only come in to you know scold them or things like that but it'd be a lot of interaction between the children um and in in my early daydreams I wouldn't have been a character myself like I I would have been controlling everyone say um as opposed to like oh I'm interacting with them it would just be oh I'm I'm pretending to be this person I'm pretending to be that person yeah it was it was just a lot of um like mischief and then one of them was supposed to be like the funny one and one of them was supposed to be the serious one and you know the plotter and a lot of them I think I had like probably 20 or so of these different characters that are in in the um the one like plot let's call it the one daydream um and I had written it down a lot um which I think uh is is quite common I've not interacted with other people except for like reading posts but I think it's quite common especially when you're younger to kind of write down the characters as if they're in a novel like oh I'm playing this out and then and I'll write it so I had um like all of the history of this this magic alternate like planet sort of thing um I had you know when when their birthdays were I had the things that they liked I had like catchphrases I had all these sorts of things so it was a very broad range of characters and the main thing that held them together were that they were all magical and most of them would be children um and there weren't really any like evil characters it was just a lot of them hanging out and being friends which that motif is kind of the only thing that's really stayed um with me would be kind of the motif of friends but these definitely would have like all very individual personalities why do you think your daydreams changed so much from childhood to adulthood i think a lot of it had to do with 
uh, other things happening. So I would be um, quite happy at that point um, up until maybe the age of 11 or 12. And 11 or 12 was probably the first instance that I had of kind of being conscious of um, like, oh, I can talk to my thoughts, like, oh, you know, you, you know, the voice in your head and, and everyone says that, um, you know, your, your internal monologue. And that was the first time I think that I was conscious that I myself don't have one as me, but I did have one and it would like talk back to me. So that was kind of, um, oh, what's this? Like, who are, who are these people? Um, and kind of like leaving notes around like, oh, do you want to talk about this? Do you want to do that? Or um, so basically like becoming aware of the OSDD, I think was what changed it. And I think frankly, I was a little bit embarrassed by that. And in terms of, um, you know, I am very imaginative and I have all these magic people, but now all of a sudden I have an audience that I'm not aware of. I can't talk to them, but clearly, if I can hear them, that probably means they can hear me. What are they thinking about this? You know, what are what are their thoughts on this? Um, so I think it kind of killed a bit of the magic for me um, and a bit of the comfort of um, having like really fantastical plots. And I think part of also why it came into starting to daydream of characters that would be my own age that would kind of just be these talking heads or some of them that that might have a little bit more personality but the personality would basically just be me um like different facets of myself I think that also was probably like psychoanalyzing myself but it was probably like well I've got these people in my head and I don't know anything about them so maybe I'll just create them and it would give me kind of a sense of control of well, I've got these people that are secret that nobody knows about, but at least I can talk to these people, you know, and they can provide me comfort in a way that I can't really access with all the altars. And, you know, the altars are providing themselves support and, and with each other. So I guess I'll just do that for myself so I'm not excluded. When were you diagnosed with OSDD? That would have been in January of this year um so over christmas things got very very bad with that i i kind of suspected something because i i went down the wormhole of like researching what is this um and i discovered did and i thought okay a lot of this fits but a lot of this doesn't so surely there's something there's, there has to be something in between because you know all these people are saying oh i don't remember this i don't remember that i'll I'll come on, I'll find things I don't remember buying. I didn't have any of that, but I would very distinctly be able to feel somatically, like say in the backs of my eyes, you know, I can feel if there's someone there, I can feel a switch, I can feel in the way that I carry myself. Um, so basically I, I had um, a suicide attempt in, in early January and I went into hospital and that would have been the time that I was given assessments and, and all of that and kind of interviews um, and they said oh yeah given things that have happened before because um, OSTD like like dissociative disorders they're they're a manifestation for a trauma response 
Um, and they were, so they were kind of picking at that a bit and they said, oh yeah, that, that probably fits. And, you know, just with other experiences, that was what they decided. Um, but even in all of that, I kind of felt a bit ashamed to discuss anything with the MDD because MDD is not in the DSM-5, whereas OSDD is. And I think there's a little bit of cognitive dissonance within myself and, and probably for a lot of people, frankly, of, well, people have this and this is seen as legitimate. This is seen as a real problem. You know, it's got a name and everything and, and they know how it works and they know why you have it. And, you know, there are rules to it, but there aren't really rules to MDD. It's not in the DSM-5. Um, it's so subjective what could be maladaptive for one person. Maybe they do it to relax and it's not habitual at all. And, you know, would that be MDD or wouldn't it? You know, how do we measure that? So I think it's um, the diagnosis of OSDD was something good for me because it gave me a bit of validation. But the fact that MDD seems to be quite stigmatized as something that's either not real or not that important kind of takes away from that a little bit. Do any of your alters also have MDD or is it just you? So far as I know, I think I'm the only one. There, like Toivo would be kind of one for daydreaming, drifting off, but it wouldn't be like he's got his own world in the same that, way that I've got my own world. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's just me. <laughs> Thank God that's enough. We don't need more people in my head. <laughs> How much control do you have over your daydreams? Oh, next to none, really. If it if it gets busy, if I get stressed, if it gets bad, I could easily spend an entire day doing that. And, and when I say entire day, I really do mean I feel like I'm putting on a front to be in this real world. So it's, it's almost constant. See, now, now that I've got class and things, I realize just how little control I have over it because I thought, surely, if I've got something to focus on, you know, school and teaching, that takes a lot of effort, that takes a lot of focus to do. Um, so I'll just do it. I'll, I, I'll daydream later. That's fine. But I'm realizing I actually, it's so hard to stop doing it. It's so hard to turn my brain off and actually be in the moment and not be imagining that I'm in some other place taking the notes. It's not really me taking the notes. How do you think your childhood has impacted your MDD? Just a lot. Um, so I, yeah, it's fine, it's fine. Um, I uh, grew up in a very abusive house whenever I was very young, so it was very neglectful and my parents were heroin addicts. Um, so that sets the stage maybe for a little bit of dissociation anyways, which you already know that I had since the MD, with since the OSDD and then the MDD. And then I think that also influenced it because whenever I lived with my grandparents, I had the structure finally, but I was not good at talking to other children. I could make friends but I guess I didn't really have any um 
any desire to have like really close friendships. So I would see my sister and she would have, you know, all her really close friends. Um, and I would just think, oh, yeah, that's nice, but take it or leave it. So I think that I found a bit of comfort in I can pretend like I have friends um, in, in the alternate world, in the MJJ world. So I don't know if that was a cope because I was actually just lonely and I just convinced myself that I didn't care or if it was actually I don't care so much for other people I'm just going to do my own thing and it's more entertaining this way so yeah I'm, I'm not sure which one it would be but I'd say probably just having an abusive childhood that kind of it stunts your social skills perhaps or maybe your confidence with other people or your comfort with other people so I, I'd say it was it was probably that some way or another that influenced it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Little Universe, and thank you to Devin Rose for being interviewed. I hope you will join us next time.